What will we find in today's Thursday thrillers here on the Mutual Audio Network? A few baffling mysteries? Perhaps a touch of murder? Let's find out. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance recommended. Welcome to Hot Copy Radio Theater. You are about to hear a cast of very talented voice performers recreate a long-lost episode of Hot Copy, an exciting audio drama about the wild adventures of a young woman newspaper reporter, which was broadcast on the NBC radio network between 1941 and 1944. This recreation is adapted from the original script. Now, sit back, relax, and enjoy. It's time for Hot Copy, the vivid drama behind the paragraphs of a daily newspaper column. Hot Copy is the absorbing story of a young newspaper woman, Ann Rogers, a clever, attractive girl with a nationally syndicated column, Second Glance, in which she uncovers many events which other, less courageous reporters would be afraid to touch. Her stories, in the words of her adventurous profession, are always Hot Copy. Now, listen to today's new and exciting episode, No Motive for Murder. Originally broadcast February 6th, 1944. We... The jury find the accused guilty of murder in the first degree. I am innocent. Preston appeal rejected. Preston to get death penalty. Get your newspapers right here. I am innocent. Paper, paper. Preston to die next week. I am innocent. Struck by the fact that Herbert Preston didn't look like the cold-blooded murderer that we have been made to believe he is, one wonders about this man who persistently denies any guilt. Could his dogged insistence that he is innocent mean that... Anne? Yes? The more I hear this thing that you're dictating to me, the more I don't think we ought to be writing it. Why not, Sprightly? Well, good night, Anne. This guy Preston has been convicted. The jury said he was guilty. The district attorney said he was guilty. The judge said he was guilty. What right have we to... Sprightly, they must be wrong about him. You saw him yourself at the press interview this afternoon. He didn't look like a man who could knife his employer to death. Good afternoon, dear ladies of the press. Oh, my. Who let you in? Hi, Pete. Hard at work, writing down your little poils of wisdom for the old column? Yes, hard at work. Unlike you, Pete. Aren't you supposed to be out and about, taking pictures for the newspaper? At least, that's what it says in your job description. <laughs> hmm. I hope you don't mind. 
if I drape myself over one of these luxurious hardwood chairs. I'd like to watch the brains behind second glance at work. You flatter us, but with that face of yours around, how could we possibly keep our minds on our work? <laughs> Sprightly! I take it that you're building up a beautiful masterpiece about Herbert Preston, the knife killer. How'd you guess? Boy, you'd sure be missing a chance for a swell sob story if you didn't. I'll bet my bottom dollar that you're making a lot over the fact that he says he's innocent. Maybe I am. Ah, listen, Anne. I thought you might be doing this. Don't waste your time trying to defend that crook. He's not a crook. I know he isn't, Pete. How do you know? Well, I... Yeah, you don't know. Just because he keeps telling people he's innocent is nothing. Who wouldn't keep saying they was innocent if it might keep them from the hot seat? When do you get all your authority to tell us what's what, Big Shot? I'm not telling you what's what. I'm just telling you that the district attorney said that Preston was guilty, and this time, so help me, he's right. That case the district attorney built up, Pete, was strictly circumstantial evidence. It was good enough for me. Didn't the scrub woman come into the office and find Preston leaning over the body with the knife in his hand? Yes, but he might have just come in. It was midnight, though. That's a very phony hour just for making social calls. Well, the lawyer for the defense brought out the fact that it was quite common for them to have those late sessions. They were working day and night in that electrical business. Oh, sure. But you'd think Preston would have had a better story to tell then. All he could say was that he just didn't do it. Well, I'll admit that was a pretty thin defense. Thin? Sister, <laughs> that was anemic. But why would Herbert want to get rid of Westcott anyway, Birdbrain? It couldn't have been embezzlement. There was nothing wrong with the books. No, nothing like that. And they brought out the fact that he couldn't have gained in any way by his employer's death. Of course, it's easy to get a job these days, but it's not so easy that you could just go around killing off your employer. Yeah, but they had an argument, and he'd killed the boss in a fit of anger. Yes, that was the theory of the prosecution that the jury convicted him on. But I don't think a man should be sentenced to die on such purely circumstantial evidence. Oh, and can't you see... It's as plain as the nose on your face. He's guilty. If it was as plain as the nose on your face, then I'd believe you. Look, Pete, you say that the case is closed. Closed tight. But no case is closed. If new evidence can be presented, right? Where do you think that you can get new evidence? I'm going to see exactly what I can do to dig up some. And I'm not going to waste any time. I'm going right now. Come on, Sprightly. Lead on, Annie. He really ain't supposed to have any visitors from the press, Miss Rogers. But since Inspector Collins says so, it's okay with me. But, Guard, it looks like he already has some guests. Here's the cell. Yeah, his wife and his lawyer. 
if you'd rather wait and see him alone. No, I'd like to meet them too. Okay. Preston! Yes? Visitors! Step inside, Miss Rogers. I'll have to close the door again. But just call me when you're ready to go. Thank you, guard. Mr. Preston, I hope you won't mind this intrusion. I'm Ann Rogers. I'm a newspaper woman. Perhaps you remember me? I was here this afternoon when they let you be interviewed by the press. Yes, I remember you, Miss Rogers. This is my secretary, Miss Poole. Hi. This is Mary, my wife. Hello, Miss Rogers. Miss Poole. This is Mr. Masters, my friend and my attorney. Nice to meet you, Miss Rogers, Miss Poole. Mr. Preston, as you know, I'm familiar with the facts of your case, but there are still some points that puzzle me. I'd like to ask. Excuse me a moment, Miss Rogers. You're not conducting this second interview with a preconceived notion of my client's guilt, I hope. On the contrary, I'm making a brand new investigation in the belief that Mr. Preston is telling the truth when he says he's innocent. I am innocent. I swear it. Good. In that case, you may say anything you wish, Herbert. Fine. Now I wish you'd please tell me in detail exactly what happened that night. Will you? Well, as best I can. You see, it was all so sudden and unexpected. First of all, Mr. Westcott called and asked me to come downtown. That was at what time? About eleven. Our neighbor can prove that. Neighbor? How so? Well, you see, we moved into a new apartment a few months ago. But because of the war, the telephone company couldn't give us a phone line right away. So we depended on our neighbor downstairs. I see. He was alive at 11. And then what? Well, I drove downtown to the office. When I arrived, a light was shining through the transom, but Mr. Westcott didn't answer when I knocked. I thought that was a trifle strange, but finally I just opened the door. You had a key, of course? Naturally. And then I saw him. He was lying on the floor in front of the door. I had to force the door to get inside. Then? I... Even then, I didn't think of murder. I thought he'd fainted or, or had a stroke, maybe. He was lying face down. I knelt beside him and turned him over. That's when I saw what had really happened. There was a knife in his breast, blood on his shirt front. I, I got it all over my hands. It was... It was... Yes. It must have been a shock. It was cold, brutal murder, Miss Rogers. Westcott died instantly. He never even saw his killer. And then, Mr. Preston? Uh, well, I went a little crazy, I suppose. I remember thinking, I must get the knife out of his breast. That, that, that maybe he wasn't dead. I tugged at it. I, I just got it out when I heard a scream from the corridor outside. The scrub woman? That's right. That explains her testimony. So then what? I called to Mrs. Kelly, but she ran, yelling and crying. 
for the first time, I realized how my actions might be misconstrued. I knew she'd called the police, so I called John. I'll never forgive myself for being in a movie when you called. If I had been with you when the police arrived... It wasn't your fault, John. You've been a rock of Gibraltar these past dreadful weeks. We'll never forget your help. Never, John. Then, that's all, Mr. Preston? All that matters. The police came. I was arrested. You know the rest. And now, they're going to... <laughs> to... Please, dear. There's still hope. John, I think you'd better take Mary home. Very well, Bert. Come, Mary. Don't worry. Everything's going to be all right. If anything happens to Bert, I have no one. No one in the world. I'll be here, Mary. See you tomorrow, Bert. And keep a stiff upper lip. I'm still after the governor for reprieve. Oh, guard. Guard! Okay, Mr. Masters. I'm coming. Goodbye, dear. I love you, Bert. I will always love you. Goodbye. I'll see you again soon. Bye, Miss Rogers. Miss Poole, thank you so much for coming. Goodbye, everyone. There goes the best wife and the finest friend that a man ever had. I'm sure of it. I gather that Mr. Masters is a personal friend as well as your lawyer? The closest. He's got a bachelor apartment in town, but he practically lives at our house. Or, or did, I mean. Until this happened. Yes. But let's not think of that now. Tell me one more thing, and please be frank. Would you have any reason to kill your employer? Me? Kill Westcott? Good heavens, no! I want the truth. You had nothing to conceal from him? No! Believe me, Miss Rogers, I had no reason for wanting Westcott to die. I see. Then, do you know anyone who had? No. Except, possibly, Malinetti. Malinetti? You mean the racketeer? The pinball king? That's right. Tony Malinetti. But why? We were in the electrical supplies business, you know. Malinetti needed wires, relays, that sort of thing, for his machines. Yes? Westcott had what he needed, but refused to sell to him. Told him the equipment was needed for the war effort. Malinetti got pretty angry. He said if Westcott wouldn't sell to him, he'll never sell to anyone. Oh, my lord, Miss Rogers, you, you don't think... I don't know. Yet. But I'm going to make it my business to find out, Mr. Preston. I might be a poor newspaper woman for saying a thing like this. The police of this city and a jury of your peers have convicted you of the murder of Bruce Westcott, but... But? But I believe you're innocent, and I'm going to do everything in my power to keep you from the chair. We'll return to today's episode of Hot Copy in just a minute. But first, a word from our sponsor.
I still think radio is probably the greatest entertainment medium ever invented. It made the audience work. Instead of a big, ugly glass picture tube, you saw the performers in your own mind. We were a family. It was a nucleus of people that you never grew away from. When I arrived, all of the WTIC people had started mm -hmm. and were working in New York and introduced me to different people and got me at least into some of the auditions. I think there is something so special between the listener and the other side of the microphone and the story. Breaking Walls is the podcast on the history of American dramatic radio. Subscribe everywhere you get your podcasts and at thewallbreakers.com. And now, back to Hot Copy. Anne Rogers is convinced that Herbert Preston is innocent of the murder for which he has been sentenced to die, and she has pledged her efforts to save him from the death penalty. She and Sprightly are now leaving the penitentiary. Thank you, guard. Not at all, Miss Rogers. Glad to oblige. That ain't the way I heard it. What about not letting any newspaper men see Preston? Huh? Yes, that's what Preston's lawyer told us. Oh, that guy. First, he hollers for reporters. Then, he says keep them all out. He spends half his time running to the governor, and the other half soothing Preston's wife. Oh, my. I suppose it is an awful strain. His best friend is convicted of murder and sentenced to the electric chair. Yeah, I guess so. Well, come back, miss. Thanks. Oh, before we leave, have you ever heard of a racketeer named Malinetti? Who don't? Listen, Miss Rogers, we got a special cell right here waiting for that crook. If they can ever pin anything on him. He's a bad customer, then? Bad? He's poison. Would you consider him capable of murder? I'd consider him capable of anything. Only you can't prove nothing on him. He's as slippery as an eel. Well, come back. Yes, I definitely will. Thanks for everything. So long. <laughs> Well, Annie, what now? Now, Sprightly, we're going eel-catching. <laughs> Wait, what? Yes, we're going to call on Mr. Malinetti. Miss Ann Rogers, eh? And what can I do for you, Miss Rogers? Mr. Malinetti, I understand you're in the market for some... Electrical equipment? Yeah, that's right. Why? You know where I can lay hands on some? Maybe. What do you mean, maybe? It depends on what it's worth to you. <laughs> oh, I see. A businesswoman, eh, Miss Rogers? Well, you'll find Tony Malinetti willing to talk turkey. Then you really want this equipment? You're darn right I want it. With 5,000 pinball machines out of order... 
and no place to get supplies on account of the war. And to what lengths will you go for it? How's that again? If you mean will I pay plenty for it, yeah. If you mean <laughs> will I do a little uh, plain and fancy stealing to get it, well, maybe. And would you do a little plain and fancy murder? Murder? Hey, what do you mean? I mean that some weeks ago, Bruce Westcott, who refused to sell you those types of supplies, was found in his office, dead. You and he argued. Now listen here, Miss Rogers. Nobody can bust in my office and accuse me of murder. I'm not accusing you. I'm just trying to find out how much you know about Westcott's death. And the answer is nothing. Just because I happened to be in the building that night. <gasps> ah, you were in the building. Why? If it's any of your business, it's because one of the guys that invents new kinds of pinball machines has his wake shop there. He asked me to come look at a couple of new types. I see. And this inventor will testify you were with him the entire evening, I suppose? From about ten to one o'clock, yeah. Three hours. Just to inspect some machines? Them things take time. And besides, we was delayed. Along about 10.30, a fuse blew out in the building and we had to sit there in the dark till the lights came on again. A fuse blew? And how long were the lights out? I don't know. Fifteen minutes, maybe. Hmm. Time enough to get to Westcott's office. And, hmm. Say, listen here, sister. That will do, Sprightly. Thanks for your help, Mr. Malinetti. We'll go now. Okay, but mark what I say. I don't want to get dragged into this case. One crack out of you to the cops and... Yes? You'll what? Skip it. Just sing and you'll find out. Yes, I imagine. Goodbye, Mr. Malinetti. And, despite your warning, we might meet again. I told you, miss, I don't know nothing, except what I told the police. But, Mrs. Kelly, on your testimony, a young man was convicted of murder. Surely you don't want an innocent man to go to the chair. Innocent indeed. Didn't I see him with my own eyes, crouching over the body of his boss with a knife in his hands? But he says he... <sighs> then tell me this, Mrs. Kelly... Is it true that a fuse blew out in the building the night of the murder? Fuse? Now, come to think of it, there was some trouble with the lights that night. It wasn't no fuse, though, because they came on again of their own free will. I remember thinking there must be something wrong at the power plant. Where is the main fuse box, Mrs. Kelly? Why, downstairs, in the entrance hall. I don't suppose you could have turned out the lights, could you? Why... Sure, seeing as how the master switch don't have no lock, and... and anybody. But why? In investigating Mr. Westcott's death, I've discovered some rather curious facts. Among other things, I've learned that you were not particularly fond of him. That I wasn't. The meddlesome old buzzard almost got me fired. Twice. Him complaining to the building manager that money was missing from his petty cash drawer. 
So I understand. And I've also discovered that you were arrested once several years ago for assault and battery. I'm told that you attacked a man with a knife. Where? Where'd you hear that? It's true, isn't it? Yes. But, ma'am, you don't think I'm the one who... who... I think you... Good heavens! What is it, Annie? This woman. The lights. Come, Sprightly. We've got to get out of here. We've got a column to write. Column, Annie? Tomorrow's column, you mean? Yes. But this time it will be more than a mere column, Sprightly. It will be an open letter to the murderer of Bruce Westcott. John? John, are you there? Yes, of course, Mary. What is it? Tonight's newspaper. Look at Anne Rogers' column. She says Bert isn't guilty, and that she knows the identity of the real killer. What? Let me see. Great guns. Oh, John, he's going to be free again. Free. Yes, it's wonderful. But what's all this? She says she hasn't told the police yet. No. She's saving it for a scoop tomorrow. Come, John. Let's go tell Bert right away. Yes, of course. I'll get my hat and coat. Oh, John. It was you who got Ann Rogers on our side. You've been wonderful all during this horrible thing. And I love you for it. Thanks, Mary. I'm glad. We'll reveal the name of the murderer in this column tomorrow. So, this nosy little reporter in a skate thinks she can pin this rap on Tony Malinetti, huh? We'll see about that. We'll just see about that. Is this Miss Rogers' office? Oh, you're her? Well, Miss Rogers, if you think for one minute you're going to drag the name of Gertie Kelly into the mud, you've got another thing coming. I'm on the way to your office right now, and... And when I get there, you and me... Yes, I quite understand. Thank you for calling. Phew! She's in a fury. Scared to death. Who was it, Annie? Mrs. Kelly, the scrubwoman. She's on her way down to see me. Probably with a knife in one hand. And a mop in the other, huh? So, she's the one, Annie? Oh, no, my friend. You don't trap me that way. I'm still not telling. If you can't figure it out for yourself... But, Annie, it's dangerous for you to be the only one who knows. I'm not. The murderer knows. That's just what I mean. You ought to... Later. Are all the arrangements made? Well, yes, but... Good. Then suppose you run along now and leave me here alone. Okay, Sprightly? Well, all right, but I still say it's the most foolish thing you've ever done.
Miss Rogers? Oh, hello, Mr. Masters. Good to see you again. Mary Preston and I just read your column. She went to the jail to tell Bert immediately. I hurried here to offer my deepest thanks and congratulations. Why, thanks. That is so nice of you. It's true, isn't it? I mean, you're not just pulling some sort of newspaper stunt. No. Believe me, it's perfectly true. I know who really killed Bruce Westcott. And the police? <laughs> Haven't been told yet. After all, I'm a newspaper woman, Mr. Masters. I want a little moment of triumph first. Yes, of course. But this knowledge of yours, it's dangerous. You shouldn't be here, all alone. Well, you can protect me. What? <laughs> oh, yes, I see. So, you knew, all along. Not exactly. Well, tell me, Miss Rogers, who was it? Malinetti? No. Then the scrubwoman, Mrs. Kelly? No. Then who? Really, Mr. Masters? Aren't you trying to carry the game a little too far? What? You see, you murdered Bruce Westcott. You alone had a motive for killing him. I? I had a motive? But I hardly knew the man. True. But you knew Herbert Preston very well. And more importantly, you loved Mary Preston. I, I, how dare you accuse me? Yes, Mr. Masters. You wanted Bert Preston's wife enough to kill to have her. But you realized that if you murdered Bert, even though you were never caught, the memory of his violent death would stand forever between you and Mary. So, you devised a brilliant plan to both get rid of Bert and to endear yourself to Mary. Sweet, gorgeous, and naive Mary. And up till now, your plan worked beautifully. Mary thinks the world of you. So if Bert is electrocuted, her gratitude could easily transform into love. You're extremely clever, Miss Rogers. You too, Masters. Diabolically clever. As Preston's lawyer, you failed to provide him with a single loophole through which to escape the electric chair. You permitted the state to charge him with first-degree murder, knowing perfectly well that second-degree was the highest charge upon which he should have been tried, and it would have excluded the death penalty. You pretended to visit the governor at the state capitol regularly, when actually you never requested even a single meeting with him. You told Preston that the authorities had forbidden visits by reporters from newspapers and radio, when in fact it was you who had ordered them to be kept from seeing him. Yes, you're very clever, Miss Rogers, but not quite clever enough. What do you mean? I mean, you made the mistake a few minutes ago of admitting that you were alone. No one saw me enter your office. No one will see me leave. Your secret will die with you. You mean, you'd kill twice? Why not? To have Mary Preston, I'd kill a dozen times. Sprightly! Got that? Yes, Annie. Now, go get him, boys. No. A trick. A trap. Police! Drop that gun, masters. You'll never take me alive. I'll shoot anyone who tries. Hit the deck, Annie. Duck! Annie! Annie, are you all right? Yes, Brightly. Quite all right. Is he? No. Just wounded. Take him away, boys. You're under arrest, masters. Anything you say can and will be used against you. Sergeant, put the cuss on him and take him straight to city jail. Yes, sir. Right away, sir.
You got the dictaphone recording of his confession, Sprightly? Every word of it. But, Anne, how did you know that Masters did it? Logic, Inspector. But I couldn't prove it. That's why, in my column, I deliberately invited the murderer to contact me. I had to get a record of his admission. Yes, I understand that. But what made you suspect Masters in the first place? One tiny thing he said. Sprightly, remember our conversation in Preston's cell? Do you recall what Masters said about the murder? Why, yes. He said it was a brutal killing, and that Westcott never even saw his murderer. Exactly. And only one man in the world knew that. The murderer. Because he was the man who stopped in the hallway of Westcott's building, unscrewed a fuse in the central fuse box, then went on to Westcott's office in the dark. He knocked on the door, Westcott opened it, and got a knife in his heart. Oh, how awful. Disgustingly evil. As Masters left the building to call Preston, by calling his neighbor and leaving a message, knowing his voice would not give him away, he then replaced the fuse. When Preston reached the office, the lights were on. Theoretically, John Masters should never have known the building had been temporarily blacked out. Just think, that one little phrase, and his entire plan was demolished. Yes, but that's the terrible burden that a murderer carries. He must go through life balancing every spoken phrase, like a tightrope walker, but inevitably, sooner or later, he will let slip the single word that destroys him. Annie, that reminds me of something that my grandpappy used to say. The worst trap on earth is the one you set for yourself. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to Hot Copy Radio Theater. We truly hope that you enjoyed our presentation of No Motive for Murder, a lost episode of the radio audio drama Hot Copy, originally broadcast on February 6th, 1944. Our cast on this episode featured Rhonda Sigler-Ware as Anne Rogers, Samantha Thompson as Sprightly Poole, Christian Newhouse as Inspector Collins, Aaron Ratson as Herbert Preston, John Worsley as Attorney Masters, Miss Kit Karen as Mary Preston, Jerry Kokich as Pete the Photographer, Jeremy Sage as Tony Malinetti, Sinead McHugh as Gertie Kelly, Frank Guglielmelli as the Jail Guard, Scott Barry as Sergeant Callahan, Austin Sherrick as the Newsboy, and yours truly, Logan Smith as your announcer. All sound effects are from freesound.org. This episode was adapted from the original script written by Nelson S. Bond. Hot Copy Radio Theater is produced and edited under the direction of Jim Goodluck. Now, if you like this show, please take a moment of your time and go to Apple Podcasts, also known as iTunes, then give a five-star rating and review for Hot Copy Radio Theater. And... If your favorite streaming service carries this show and allows you to give a rating, please be sure to rate us there also. Finally, 
If you would like to contact any of the voice actors from this episode, or if you have any comments, questions, or suggestions in regard to this show, please send an email to hotcopyradiotheater at gmail.com. You can also follow this show on Twitter as at hotcopyradio. In addition, we have a Facebook page where you can make comments and give feedback. We invite you to tune in again on the 10th of each month for another thrilling presentation of Hot Copy Radio Theater. You start with an idea, a what-if. Then you populate this idea with characters. Heroic, cowardly, dramatic, humorous, scheming, clueless, as many as you want. Then you stir them briskly in a plot that turns this way and that until a satisfying ending is achieved. You've just written an audio drama. The challenge is, can you write one and finish it before the end of February? That's the challenge of National Audio Drama Script Writing Month. So get busy. For details, go online to sonicsociety.org slash nadsrum. That's N for national, A for audio, D for drama, S for script, W-R-I for writing, and M for month. Don't ask me why writing is represented with three letters. I didn't come up with it. But maybe I could write an audio drama explaining why. Hmm... 